0: Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training, a constructional guide to becoming your horse's best friend, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part four of our conversation with Dr. Joe Lang about schedules of reinforcement. Normally, I try and keep our conversations to two or three episodes. But in this case, I thought it was better to break the original conversation down into smaller units. I thought that would be easier for you to really think about and digest what Joe was sharing with us. He packed an enormous amount into an afternoon's conversation. And I do want to thank him again for how generously he has shared with us. So by now, if you've been following these these episodes, you may be feeling as though you've been on some kind of wild amusement park ride, where first you got turned upside down in episode one, and then you got shaken. That was Episode 2, and then in Part 3, you got spun around, so now you are completely disoriented. And hopefully, in this episode, we're going to get things sorted out, and everything will begin to settle into place. Joe is going to take us to a point where all of this really does sort out, and where it brings us to a conclusion that we can very much apply to our training. So we'll pick up again with the distinction Joe is making between contingencies and dependencies and programs versus schedules. That will be a quick review from last week, and then that review will take us to this question. Given this distinction between shaping and maintaining, at what point does an exploration
1: of schedules
0: really become
1: relevant? It's a matter of where the requirement is placed. And shaping is a sequence of changing contingencies because you're changing the requirement for your reinforcer. In other words, the trainer is the micro switch in a way. In other words, it's evaluating whether the organism has met the requirement. And if you change what it takes to press that micro switch or how the micro switch is pressed and... Or how much force it takes to do the microswitch is basically what you're what you're changing. Then you're changing the criteria. So that's a sequence of contingencies. All right. So and you're varying
0: uh, that requirement.
1: Right. So yes.
0: In, in what you're describing, you're varying the requirement.
1: Right. It's the change in the requirement that is that change in contingency when there's a change in requirement.
0: And and some
2: people would say. Don't do one five three two. Just do one one point five two two point five or whatever. Just build it up. Don't do the ping pong.
1: That, and
2: some people do the ping pong. And and so I'm trying to see in the context of this discussion,
1: it really doesn't have anything to do with schedules. That's mm. that to do with programming <laughs> and programs, right? You're talking about what sequence of contingencies result give you the best result. Right? What sequence do you put in effect? What kind of program do I use to get the best re- best result? Right? So that that that's a different question. That's not really a schedules question.
2: Okay. All
1: mm-hmm. right. Schedule has to do with you know w- once you've got the behavior that you're after, mm. how often do you have to reinforce it?
2: hmm Yeah, that's the maintaining part. Right. So you you. You never talk about schedules during shaping, then
1: people have done it. I wouldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> In other words, I I I would and, and you definitely don't do it with your clicker. I've seen people try to shape, you know, click. Oh no, no, no. I'll give yeah, and click the, no, yeah no. A shape. And that that's a yeah that's a no as well. But during shaping, even though the reinforcement may occur at different intervals as a matter of fact i and i think you know this is one of the things that i watching alex work even though you're using these mini extinctions your rate of reinforcement can be still very high it can actually be higher during extinct during shaping with extinction than later pain without extinction yes right so the rate of reinforcement is what's critical in these, not so much that you're using extinct. You now some people say, Well, I never want to use extinction. And I'll say, Well, then you'll never shape anything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> because you because you that's how you get your variability. <laughs> now the question is, are you got a good eye, can see the minimum variability along the vector you want, and can reinforce that and get keep that reinforcement rate up and move that behavior along. You know, the good shapers can do that very, very, you know, you watch them do it and they're just Looks like magic, right? Yeah. And the but it's still a little mini extinctions because you're not you're not going to get the variability without it.
0: So I I think you're getting to the heart of where people got themselves really tripped up, especially in the early stages of exploring clicker training. That and it was in part a linguistic one where we we were using all this terminology but not really understanding what we were saying, which is very normal, common. But this difference between I'm shaping and I'm maintaining.
2: Right. And
0: at what point does an exploration of schedules really become relevant? And if I'm shaping, I'm not going to be worried about all these fixed interval and fixed ratio. And does not it's not relevant then. Yep. And, and that was Bob Bailey's point, that we right. want to be on a continuous reinforcement right. schedule when we're shaping. And he he had to make a lot of PowerPoint slides with big yellow font before people started <clears> to <throat>, understand that point. Right. Because we uh, were... But it
2: didn't mean on. that he kept reinforcing the same thing. No, though.
0: but early no, on, no, no, no. people were trying to, I think what I, I i think early on people were trying to impose schedules into the shaping process
1: right well in yeah in, in in essence you know and if you want to know what this schedule is under shaping it's basically fr1 extinction Yeah. You now you reinforce one response then you put that response under extinction another response comes up that meets a new requirement fr1 extinction fr1 mm-hmm. extinction one extinction fr1 extinction is basically the schedules that you're using and you right? can
0: get massive amounts of really right. impressive behavior using that's right. that
1: that's right now there are considerations of schedules for programming once you've got to a certain pattern so you get to a pattern with your animal and you want that animal to stick with it and be resilient so you decide to put it on a variable racial schedule, and you get that animal really focused. But now you want it to do something else. You got a pretty focused animal, and yeah. the amount of variability in that behavior is going to be fairly low. It's going do to you take have an example to get it to well. I, in the laboratory, I can give you an example, but don't worry with human case. You know, in other words, remember those nurses that we we that Wiener worked with humans. But on a variable ratio, you try to move it to an interval schedule, it's very difficult. They don't come under control of it. There's no variability in their behavior. So if you're looking at saying, okay, I got my dog doing this, or my horse doing this, now I want it to do something completely different. I want it to do something else in these situations. It's going to be difficult to get it to change from what it's doing to the new situation. This is why oftentimes people will use discriminative stimuli to say, mm-hmm. Under this condition, it's the variable ratio. Under this condition, it's something else, mm-hmm. like those multiple schedules we talked about. Right. Well, then the organism the says, "Oh, okay. I don't. Ha- they don't want me to do it. You know, focused anymore. They want me to be loosey goosey." Well, this type of thing. You know, the, there's some interesting things that haven't been tried too much. At least the Clifton Bumpus does some work. in in, that approaches this area and that is what if you gave an organism a history of behaving under a variety of these schedules for a variety of behaviors under stimulus control in essence so that when it came time to train a new behavior and maintain it you just give it that stimulus and it says oh this is going to be an interval (laughs) oh this is going to be a ratio oh this is going to be they want me to focus in other words can you give an organism a history of responding under these to get the types of flexibility or focus that you're after in new situations
0: now that, that was in part related to my question of when you do experiments with people what is the verbal report that you get back in terms of it, what it, the it, schedule it, that is that they're on of how how sensitive can individuals become so that they know now I have to just now I can wait I can, right I can I don't have to do anything because I'm on an, an interval schedule and right. so I can get back for a little bit and then respond
1: sometimes they get it or sometimes they'll do things like oh I learned what I have to do I they want me to name different objects in the room and when I get up to twenty objects, then respond because that's how long it takes the interval to go. right? Mm. Yeah. So they'll come up. We had we did this. We had human subjects who would come up with all kinds of reasons, and it met yes. the schedule. Yeah,
0: mm, that's what I would figure.
1: Right. But it but it doesn't necessarily that they identified it as an FI schedule. Mm. And I they'd say, oh, they want me to name things around the room, and if I name things around the room and this type of thing, right? And and people will become insensitive to schedules. If they keep following that, it's called, you know, they they say it's rule governed, but really it means that the schedule, either the consequences are potent enough or there is enough effort to induce enough variability to bring them into contact with the new schedule. So their verbal behavior and the behavior they're engaging, the lever pressing or the key pressing or whatever, requires a certain amount of effort, you know, and then the verbal behavior will change with it. But But the verbal behavior will remain pretty constant if there's no variability brought into the in other words there has to be something that discriminates the change and the reinforcement rate sometimes can do it but if the reinforcer isn't that potent they don't really care right so you got a, a student who gets 10 cents for every 25 points they get and they go well what do i care <laughs> what's ten, what's a dime right but if it were ten dollars maybe it would have you know then they'd be more sensitive so there's there's all kinds of variables that govern how people talk about things and how much it influences what they do.
0: I'm thinking in terms of some of the superstitious behaviors or the the people who get locked into you know I have to touch the doorknob ten times before I can pass through a door. Is, is that related to some of this? It is.
1: It is. But what people tend to neglect in those situations is what happens if they don't do it? In other words, you can have a schedule where something bad happens every X number of times when they don't do it, and that'll maintain doing it, right? right. And, the, and so it's not only what happens when you do do it, it's what happens when you don't do it, and the threat of that, right? And so, right. yeah. But isn't, I
0: mean, the threat is what maintains a lot of right. the ritualized behavior. You oh, know, right. if I don't do this, if I don't, you know, whatever yeah. ritual it is, if I don't do this ritual, I'll be in a car accident on my way to work. It'll be all my right. fault. Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: yeah, and the, but there's also, when you get into those issues, there are all kinds of things that one has to consider. That That's a whole clinical discussion. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, is, that is That may have, that whole pattern may have nothing to do with that at all, <laughs> even though they describe it as such. So, yeah. It could be because when I do that, then my wife drives me to work, and it's the only time that I get to be with her and and get her attention and so on and so forth. So, you know that that's what's really maintaining it. (laughs) That type of thing. So you you never know. Getting
0: back to the shaping Mm -hmm. and Dominique's question and point, I think one of the reasons that Dominique that the Loopy training was such a useful way right. of, of viewing training is because it just tidied up all of this.
1: Right. No, it was just made a made clear the yeah. reinforcement. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the you know Skinner discovered schedules because he was lazy, right? He used to make his own pellets. <laughs> and so he said he wanted to go away for a weekend, I believe. And said, well, what if I just gave him a pellet every other time? What would happen? And sure enough, he found out that he maintained the behavior, and that's how he stumbled on schedules of reinforcement. And so, and so it came out of you know, it came out of not some great experimental insight, but it's basically because he's you know wanting to get away. <laughs> and the so that's a little anecdote that's fun, but then they began looking in the patterns that one gets from these schedules, and how they interact with other schedules, and so on. Again, the big takeaway to me is that behavior is sensitive to all kinds of temporal and count requirements. And your behavior will adjust to maximize the reinforcement rate, whatever those are. And the as long as it can come in contact with the contingencies that produce. It. In other words, it's gotta be enough variability in there to, to make that happen. And I think the role of variability is another topic that i don't know i don't know the community as well as, as you folks do of course is to how much the topic of variability comes in and when it's desirable and when it's not and how much variability do you want to maintain yeah so i'll give you an example there's a device called it's a vibratory mechanism called a vocoder you put it on your arm or in the case of little kids i'll put it on their leg And when you speak, it creates a vibratory pattern on your skin corresponding to the phonetic elements that you're speaking. And so you can begin to discriminate auditory stimuli that you can't hear based upon the vibratory patterns on your skin. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the question is, what kind of programs were best to be able to train people how to use these? vocoder devices, and were they worthwhile to do? And they tried it with little kids, and they tried it with little kids who were developmentally delayed, challenged, and they tried it with graduate students, <laughs> who <laughs> one could argue is by definition are, de- are got problems. But the but the and what was fascinating is, the learning curves for all groups were identical, in that. Nobody had any history doing this. So they couldn't use any of their experience to discern these vibratory patterns. They were Mm -hmm. all... So even though you're in a graduate school, all that history... made no repertoire. No repertoire, right? Yeah. But here's what they found. So they tried these different programs. They tried it such that now in these vibratory programs, certain phonetic elements... Initial training, you wanted them to respond to, but later in training, you did not want them to respond to it because they entered into different groupings. So what was SD to begin with becomes S-delta later on in terms of our S-minus or you know, S-plus begin. So you want people to give up the discrimination, right, and go to a new one or combine it with another one and not stay fixated on that. So if I have one vibratory pattern and then I have that one combined with another one, I want the compound to control the behavior, not right. just the single one, for example. Okay. So the single one, which was SD, now becomes S, delta, S-. minus. So they looked at four conditions. They had it where you had very close-in early discriminations. They had very close-in high criterion, and then very close-in low criterion, 75%. So they had very close in at 95% before moving on, very high criterion, 95%. Low criterion in terms of wider and greater ability to discriminate at 95%, and then wide apart at 75%. Okay. The question is which of these four would result in us getting to criterion faster and, and a better criterion performance? And the answer surprised them because they thought that starting out with far apart at high criteria and then bringing them closer together would be what you'd want. And it turns out that wasn't the case. It turns out that close in discrimination at lower 75% was better. And the reason was that one, it it, it reinforced these finer grain discriminations but didn't reinforce it to the extent that those finer grain discriminations which were sd to begin with could be switched to s delta when they were at 95 percent, they had a hard time switching they, sw- they couldn't switch to the compounds hmm. and if they're too far apart they didn't get the fine grain discriminations rapidly enough even though the reinforcement rate in the in the 95 correct was high up but the They couldn't get the, they they had a harder time when it came to the finer grain discriminations. So starting with the finer grain discriminations first, at a lower criteria turned out to be the best of the poor approaches.
0: So when we go to the eye doctor and they're adjusting your lens, they always start out, at least in my experience, they always start out with the wider discriminations. They don't start out close in
1: but they're not trying to teach you something they're trying to evaluate. but they're
0: trying to but they're trying to get the best lens possible for you. So would it be better if they started
1: It's a good question. Don't know. If and or if anybody's looked at that or what you may not think is difficult maybe I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't Yeah, I don't know the answers to that. The but I do know in this in this particular study Williams William Zingelman and somebody other. I have the study but what shows you is that you wanted a certain amount of variability in your responding so that you could then capture the next requirement. Yeah. So it, this is an initial training and program. So high criteria each time in the elements, isn't what you're after if you want certain types of changes as you move through your program. So you have to really think through what it is, you're training and program. And when we work with kids, when we did our headstrout programs, we took this to heart, mm. and we didn't always drive a high criteria because we wanted blending and certain things to occur with new. It's the stimuli, and and the, the stimuli same stimuli would be have to handle differently. So we allowed more variability early on, so we could capture. It. We didn't want it. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, you got to, you, you just got to get it to a near hundred percent and then move on." Well, it depends on what you're trying to get to.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So Hmm. so I don't know how it impacts animal training. But, you know, I would look at the entire sequence of where I'm going. Well, in
2: loopy training, we would have the smallest kernel possible, the smallest piece of behavior. And when that is good and clean and up to criteria, we would go to the next one. And we would want to keep it as narrow as possible so that we can build it and not have so much variability that the animal doesn't know what we're clicking.
1: Right. But on the other hand, what we're talking about here is one that involves very fine-grained discriminations.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, and where what you're discriminating now is what you, you don't want to control behavior later. So you don't want them to do what you're training them to do later on in the program. Right,
2: right, right. You're in that example.
1: So that's that's a that's a little different situation.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. When you want them to do what they you're doing or extend what they're doing, yeah, you would you would you would you would have a high criteria. But so mm-hmm. all I'm saying is that it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And that's where the programming comes in and, and the this isn't a schedule issue really, but it and, but it's in terms of criteria variables in terms of what you're trying to accomplish you have to think through where i'm going and sometimes you might want to think through well where will i be where do i want to go in two three years <laughs> you know what's what's going to happen you know it's it's so it's a an odd response requirement to put on the trainer i mean it's a big responsibility but the uh, but to begin to think about some of these things you know might be helpful i don't know again i'm not an animal trainer i'm just a am just a guy who's read a lot of experimental stuff and, the, right. uh, and
0: and that's that's always the that's always the challenge certainly in the experiments you're trying to understand the world better you know why did the, why did these things work the way that they do right. that's one of the reasons for doing laboratory experiments and in a way you're you're because you can control variables you're mimicking and certain aspects of the natural world but it's not a photographic image of the natural world it's not a clear shot but in training i think where people can get tripped up is sometimes when they're training they're thinking that they should be making use of or mimicking experimental design and that's not the case at all there are a lot of things that we would never want to set up for our animals, because
1: yeah, you yeah, no, you don't want to do. This. Actually, the model that should be used in training is, is not scientific experiments but engineering. In other words, you you're looking at making changes in your programs until you get what you're after. Yeah, <laughs> it's like putting a wing in a wing on tu- a wind tunnel, right? The wing may not, you know, the first thing you try is, you know, you no. Know, you're not getting the lift you want. So I got to change the design of the wing a little bit. And I got to change what I do a little bit. And you keep changing what you do until you get what you're after. Right. You keep refining your program through iterations and, and teaching yourself some pretty good. You can manufacture wings such that they fly without any problem. And so that's what we do when we're learning. And, and I've often contended that applied behavior analysis should be built on an engineering model, not a pseudoscientific model such that we keep changing what we do until we get where we're after, and then we, just, then we can replicate that. Then we can go out and do it over and over again. But what, we, need what, to, we need to have a wind tunnel.
0: What I have found helpful is, you know, we're working with the horses, and you come up with something that produces a result, produces a result reliably. And then I have a conversation with, with you or another behavior analyst, and I'd say, Look at what I'm doing. What am I doing? And you come up with an explanation. You know, Oh, you're, you're making use of extinction and resurgence. Oh, well, that's good to know because then I can be more efficient and effective in how I set things up so that bringing them together makes sense. So listening to the schedules, maybe thinking my head is absolutely spinning with this. How do I make use of this? And the answer may be, well, just let it stew in the background.
1: Um, well, the answer is I wouldn't worry about it when you're shaping.
0: Right.
1: You're not dealing with schedules. Right. But when you, if you want to maintain behavior while you're out and about and you don't want to reinforce every time, that's when you'd program the schedules. And where the variability is reduced, you want to have a ratio, the most powerful are variable ratio schedules. You want to start small and work it up, right? Gradually over time. And, the, uh, and if you do that, you can get a lot of behavior for very little reinforcement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And your animal will be just as happy.
0: Mm. Which is a critical piece.
1: Right. I yeah. have a funny story. Oh, okay. In our in our, well, it, it's a sad story, but it's a funny story. You
0: know, in our, in our <laughs>
1: lab, we had a one of the, one of the people doing the research. This is back in early eighties, and doing research in the lab was work. And he was actually not; he was from another university, but had come to do a, a, vis, a visiting thing with us. And so he was running subjects on scheduled reinforcement and how long and. How could you program them out and to maintain behavior over a period of time? And he got what I thought was where he wanted to be, but he was still running his subject. And I went and asked him, I said, how come you're still running the subject? And well, it turned out he had a mild crush on one of the (laughs) women who were coming in. And so he kept extending her schedule, so she'd keep coming back to respond. And as a result, he got her to respond like, oh, like all this work for very little reinforcement in his schedule, because he kept having her coming back to extend the schedule, just so he could he'd build up courage to ask her out. (laughs) And so, and so and he ended up with a nice dissertation as a result of that. And had the, the the largest, to that date, it was the greatest amount of behavior maintained in a human experimental situation. <laughs> but it was all done because he wanted to ask her out.
0: <laughs> and so we have to know, did he ever get up the courage?
1: Yeah, he did. I think she turned him down, though. I hope so. <laughs> so he went back to where he was. Mm-hmm. Where he <laughs> but uh, so that was pretty funny. <laughs> we were we were we were debating her about her. It like, well it's for science and she didn't seem to mind to come in she got paid for coming in so might as well you yeah. know yeah but not paid for the pressing just for the time but the uh, so <laughs> so it was pretty funny
0: so it's all in how <laughs> you set things up so i, I think right. that's actually probably a good note to end on <laughs> yep. because we have certainly
1: Meandered on a variety of topics.
0: Meandered on a variety of topics. I don't know how helpful
1: it was, but at least it was it filled up your, your time slot.
0: <laughs> I, I think it did a great deal more than that. I mm. think actually, in an odd sort of way, that it's very clarifying. Okay. You know, because I think the distinction between shaping and maintaining mm. has not been mm. really. It taught. hasn't. Yeah. In, in the training world
2: not in That's, our community not, anyway. that decision
0: it... has not been mm. made so mm. we, we need to sit with that a little bit and mm. let that sink in and then see where that takes us so I think mm. actually this was very clarifying mm. uh, so, uh... you know I, I think back over the the many 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 internet posts where people are you know where there's you've read them where they're ping-ponging back and forth. I said this, no, you said that, you didn't mean this. And you know, and, and there are all of these linguistic nightmares that people get themselves tied up in. And and I as I think about some of them, I think it's this distinction that they were not making.
1: And if I had any advice to folks on this topic, it would be just specify your procedures and compare procedures. Yeah. And what works don't worry about what you call it and so for example we weren't allowed to say fixed interval schedule we had to say we begin a timer that begins the time down yes yeah 20 seconds to zero when it reads zero it locks response first response after after 20 seconds you know results in a change in the house in the house light and delivery of food, which which is accompanied by a, a clunk on the you know, on the device and sound on the device, and is presented for three seconds, at which point the light goes off. I mean, we just ex- explicitly described every step of what happened. Yes. And the way to get around all of these things is to say, well, explicitly describe what you're doing. I'll explicitly describe what I'll, I'm doing. And we can compare. Yes. And they may be different, one may be better than the other, they may be both equally as good. We don't know. But who cares what you call it?
0: But
2: it's the I think for a lot of us, it's, it's not so much what we call it, it's just we're trying to find the best procedure, you know. So you want more behavior, right. And so you think if I keep doing just continuous reinforcement, if I if I clicking. Click him for one step all the time. I'm going to hit that glass ceiling and I will never get two steps.
0: They're not right. so they're but yeah. they are yeah.
1: you won't. they're right. attaching right.
0: labels right at the start rather than describing what right. they are doing.
1: Right. So, so it's you describe
0: to say I'm clicking every time he takes a step. Exactly. No, you're you're only going to get one, one step.
1: step. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So
1: there's okay. the problem. Right. Now. Uh, right.
0: But then,
2: so in order to, to develop my program.
1: But, yeah, I, yeah. This
2: is where you hear uh, these things intermittent schedule, variable ratio, and all that. And you think, oh, okay, I'm going to use this to develop my program. What right. am I asking for next? And how? Yeah. When do I reinforce the animal? Because there's a point where you have to decide when you reinforce. And that sounds like a schedule to me.
1: Well, it's all a schedule, but it's an FR1, right? Or an mm. FR2. I mean, it's all a schedule. I mean, and a program can be a program to train an animal on a schedule, right? I can train a program to go from FR1 to FR2 to FR5. That's a program. Right? as I, I I first require one lever press, and then I require two. And so the animal will press, nothing will happen. And I'll go, what? what happened? Then it'll press again and clunk, clunk. And then it'll press again, nothing will happen. Then presses again, clunk, clunk. Pretty soon it'll go, press, press, and go mm-hmm. get the food. And you'll see a change like that. And they'll go, press, press, get the food, press, press. Now I require three. Goes press, press, nothing happens. Looks around, stops for a mile, comes back, press. And the three occurs. So in other words, he does the two, waits for a while, looks around, then does the three. It's still three, meets the counter requirement, right? Gets the food, comes back, one, two, nothing happening. All right, I'll do it again, three. Or five, he drops three, out. One, two, three, right? So, or he drops
2: out, because that's that's,
1: that's right, extinction. But that's, right, but it, it likely, if the rate of reinforcement is such for these, it won't drop out in the increments small enough. So, in other words, you're waiting for the animal now. You've done one. Now you're waiting. The apparatus is waiting for it to do two. So, one is on extinction. Then you can't, you know, and as long as one isn't reinforced, and it's historically been reinforced, no longer reinforced, that's extinction. That's what defines it.
2: That's right.
1: I'm requiring two. I've changed my, you know, what's required now. So, I'm shaping the responses through a program. So, I'm getting more more of the same one usually you think in of of shaping as changing the response topography in other words mm-hmm. uh, the the animal is is starts in a circle and it just moves a little bit and finally i get it to go a half a circle and all the way around it goes all the whole circle and so forth well in this situation it's the same response just over and over again so but right. it's still shaping yeah so, and but,
2: and one of the advice that was given to us for me that was very useful was signal the change of criteria so that there is no confusion. So yeah. find yeah. a way to change something so that you signal this is no longer FR1. Or, or maybe I should even say FR1. I shouldn't say it like that even,
1: probably. Well, you can. I mean, that is a, I, you know there are times when signaling... I mean, you have to train the signal. <laughs> In other words, this the signal may mean something to you, but what does it mean to the animal? In other words, it, you know, if you have a generic signal that you're changing criterion, that might be useful. I don't know. Of it, but you would take an animal with some experience for that to have an effect. You know, it's an interesting what we'd say empirical question, experimental question, is. What would happen if every time you changed criteria, a little light came on, right? Mm-hmm. And you did this through a variety of behaviors that you were shaping.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That would be great. It would be a great tool to have. Turn
1: the light on and see if the animal now would, mm-hmm. would you know, would that move your shaping along faster or not? I mean, so
2: a- one of those <laughs> little lights that Alex uses is that she'll do a little unit. And when she wants to change criteria, she'll go do something else and then come back. And now the animal knows that there's going to we be a change. Something new. Yeah, we're going, or, or the criteria will, will be a little bit, we'll ask for a little bit more. I don't know if you like how I explained it, Alex, maybe oh, no, you want fine. to add
1: some... No, and what you're doing is, is, but it will take some time for the animal to come into control that. Yeah. they will have to go back and come back, go away and come back. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Now the question is: Is that more effective than simply reinforcing small approximations? <laughs> without, well,
0: it might be less confusing. To uh,
1: you know. know, I mean that again. That's where you. That's where you go in this procedural comparison. Mm-hmm.
0: Right,
2: and right, right. Well.
1: Maybe you know, and the and the fun of this stuff is: well, under condition A, maybe preferable to do it one way, in condition. Mm-hmm. It's preferable to do it another way. Right?
2: Absolutely. Oh, so
1: you don't, you don't know. Yeah. And that's what's fun about this. But, but coming back to what we we're saying before, being procedurally precise is what mm-hmm. is good. So instead of, I would say, well, I'm going to signal a criterion change. I'm going to say when I'm changing the criterion, I'm going to walk away, and then I'm going to come back when I want an, a different behavior. You want to be very explicit about what you just did. Mm-hmm. Right not simply say i'm signaling a change
0: mm-hmm.
1: because how you signal that change what you do because walking away also creates stimulus change mm-hmm. and so there's a there's some other variables there in terms of technically going on that is occurring i mean the fastest way to change behavior is stimulus change and the uh, in incorporating stimulus change in the programs is something that is also can be valuable Mm-hmm. And it's done in shaping stimulus fading experiments, so they'll use stimulus change. But the uh, so being very specific about what you're actually doing, I think, is really very valuable. And then just seeing if it works.
0: And so mm-hmm. in the in the Loopy training, the Loopy training mantra: when a loop is clean, you get to move on. And not only do you get to move on, you should move on. Well, that's a great mantra, but where you have to be really clear and precise. Is describing what does moving on mean? That's right. That right. so because there are all kinds of ways that you right. can change a loop that you can move on. So the, one of the first things is to recognize that there's more than one way to move on, right. and there are there are many many ways to move on. And right. in this procedure that you are choosing for this moment, right? What are you going to change? How are you going to to move on? And you're going to be clear about what you are doing. That's
1: right. That's right. And how I'd add one more element. How are you going to evaluate whether that is the good thing to do? Yes. In other words, what what's going to make you say you were successful or unsuccessful? Yeah. That, that was because. a good choice. Right. So yeah. And All right. Good. Very good. Right, folks. Well, this I've... is always fun. And uh, when we come back and talk about private experience, that's my next topic I'm dealing with in the world. Yes, so happy to come yes, back and yes. yes.
0: yes. I,
1: I don't know how it applies to animal training, but it, it's something but I, it
2: does I, I, apply, but it does. We're always wondering what our animals are going through, what they feel. We, I mean, a lot of us,
0: we are pro- all- we, we project onto our animals all the time, hmm. or we don't project, we imagine that. They're not really feeling anything. And then the, the teacher-student interaction, really important in terms of private experiences, very important because, you know, what I perceive as, oh, you know, just go do it. You shouldn't be afraid of the horse. <laughs> All of right. those things are really right. relevant. And so I think that would be an extremely interesting and useful topic. So, also,
1: it's a long one, and, and it, it brings in research from the area of perception, psychophysics, as well as behavior analysis and related fields and some neuroscience. I mean, there's some interesting new data coming up, and uh, it, it basically it's coming down to it's not what we people think it is.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, so that's, like that, a that's our tease. And so we'll, we'll give you a little break, but not a long one. And you'll get that email from me. Small interval. Yes. Yes. You can tell me what what interval do you want to be on. Many, 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 many thanks. As you've probably gathered, I really enjoy these conversations with Joe. He makes me think hard, which I really appreciate, which I really enjoy. So again, Joe, thank you for a great conversation. And I'm very much looking forward to the next one. I'm going to end this podcast by reminding everyone that you can follow me now on Instagram. You can read my Modern Horse Training posts at alexandra.curland.5. That's on Instagram. And as always, you can find my new book, Modern Horse Training, on my website, theclickercenter.com and on Amazon, and also through other booksellers. So, until next time, train well, and have fun with your horses.